0: Well, welcome back to Israel and welcome back to Immerse as we're on like three of our journey uh, guided by Luke and the books of Luke and Acts as we're taking these 40 days to better understand the New Testament and how we fit into this story. And today in this section of the book of Luke, uh, you may notice quite a shift in the in the tone of the stories that we'll be reading. And that's why I have this stopwatch here, because uh, Time is up like it's it's uh, the, the point of this book of Acts is this decision time because Jesus is going from Galilee. If you remember the geography of, of Israel in his time, you have Galilee, then you have Samaria and then on the southernmost part, Judea, uh, where Jerusalem is. So he's been ministering in Galilee. Now he's going to Jerusalem for the last time where he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's going to be raised from the dead. And so people have had time to interact with him, to hear his teaching, to decide things about who he is and who he claims to be. But that time's kind of up because he's journeying for the last time going through these cities. I'm in the Judean wilderness right now, the Judean desert, uh, just around Jerusalem. And as he goes through these towns and as he teaches and as he interacts with people, uh, that's the urgency. They've got to decide. Now, for us, 2,000 years later... We're in a time of decision, too, a time of opportunity where we can decide what we believe about Jesus or whether we want to follow him or not. Um, In fact, our church is built for that. Uh, It's built in part for people who have really good questions and really good doubts and are trying to kick the tires and figure Christianity and Jesus and the Bible and all that stuff out. But at some point, it's going to be decision time for all of us. I mean, one thing I've learned over the last couple of years with my family is Nobody knows how long we have. Life on this planet is short. And at some point, it's good to make a decision. And, of course, Jesus could also return at any time. And decision time will be up. So we see this in different ways in this section of Luke. But I'm going to focus first on uh, on an exorcism, on a healing. As Jesus releases somebody from a demon in Luke 11, and you have the response of the Pharisees and Jesus' response back in Luke 11:14. It says, when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, and we learn from the book of Matthew, that the some of them are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Meaning, they're saying that what empowers Jesus to do all this stuff, including this exorcism, is demons, not God. Which was a really big charge. Now, for Jesus, he responds like, really? I mean, you really think that's the way it would work, that that by the power of demons i could you know demons would help me drive out other demons it'd be like watching a dallas cowboy game where they started scoring for the other team like nobody does that and then jesus says something very pointed whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters meaning you're either in or out Uh, either you say yes to the invitation you say yes to the opportunity and you're gathered or you just stay scattered but it some point and it's now because it's decision time he's on his way to jerusalem for the last time you need to decide now jesus had talked a lot about who he who he is that who he claimed to be god who came here for us that's a really big claim and so people had a really big decision to make but it reminds me of the same decision you and i have when we consider the claims of jesus which also reminds me of a famous quote by c.s lewis where he says I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said, and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Because of his claims. Either he is who he says he is or he isn't. Now, we're going to see that same urgency and that same decision point that at some point we all have to make and certainly was there 2000 years ago and in another setting. And this one's a little bit more fun, at least if you like parties. So I'll see you there. One of the other ways we see the urgency in this point in the life of Jesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time is a series of parties. And that's why I'm right here at a place, a 2,000-year-old party place. This was somebody's living room in a really big mansion. Uh, this is actually a 2,000-year-old uh, mosaic. It's beautiful. Uh, they were gracious enough to let me stand here because they don't know me very well. And, uh, but I'm going to do my best to take good care of it. Uh, but you, you may not realize it, but Jesus was quite a party person. As you read this section of Luke, you'll see that. Um, and you might think that Jesus would ruin a party, right? I mean, if you believe, as Christians do, that he's God, then inviting God to a party, I mean, that can kind of kill a party. It's like, look, everybody behave because, you know, God's coming. I mean, that's kind of tough. But Jesus never spoiled a normal people party or what the Pharisees called a sinner party, uh, Now, he went to Pharisee parties and he tended to be really disruptive in those. And we're going to see one of those. So in this section of Luke, we see Jesus at four parties, a friend party, a Pharisee party, religious people party, a center party, so-called, and another Pharisee party where he tells a story about a party. And that's the one that we're going to focus on again as we're just sensing the urgency of the invitation and to either accept it or to extend it to others. So Jesus is invited to a Pharisee party, and uh, and it would have been uh, probably pretty similar in some ways to this, where you'd have a triclinium, which means three couches. So you'd have a couch this way, a couch this way, and a couch this way. Uh, there'd be a low table. Um, everybody would try to be seated as close to the host of the party as possible because that was the VIP section. So the most important people would be closest to the host. And so Jesus is just watching this happen as people are trying to jockey for position. And he says, hey, you know what? Uh, Why don't you try instead of going to the most important place? Why don't you go to the least important place? Because that's what really great people do. And then people realize that they may invite you forward. Uh, Then he makes another observation of the Pharisee party when he says, hey, instead of inviting uh, the best people, you know, and your friends, why don't you try to invite the poor, the lame, the outcast, the sinner, the sinner? People who never get invited to parties because that's the kind of party that God would like. And then he tells the story of another banquet, of another party, where he describes the kingdom of God as a party. Here's the passage, Luke 14:15. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, these fancy parties, they they were a big deal. They took a long time to prepare for. Sometimes they went on for not just hours. Sometimes they went on for days. You'd go and you'd stay at these people's house. So it was a two-reservation system, a two-RSVP system. So you would send out the invitation with a general time frame. person would say yes. And it was unthinkable that if they said yes to the first invitation, that when the party was ready and you sent somebody to come get them, that they would then decline, that they would then make an excuse and say no. I mean, if that happened and Martha Stewart was around then, she would send out her cronies and break their kneecaps and you know, drag them over. But that's kind of what happens. Well, that is what happens in the story. But they all alike began to make excuses. These were all lame excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. They can see it any time. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. It's like, hey, I just bought a new car. I just want to go drive it. Again, they could do that anytime. time. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. Now, that's my favorite because literally in Greek, um, this is you know, smoothed out a little bit in English. Literally, it's, I can't come. I married a woman. That's the literal translation, or that's actually the most literal thing in the Greek. I don't know why it strikes me as funny, but it just kind of does as an excuse of, sorry, I can't come. I, I married a woman. I don't know what that means exactly, but that was their excuse. Well, the servant goes back. There's nobody who's coming to the party. All the ones who were invited have refused to come. So the next verse says the servant came back, reported this to his master and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. These people would never be invited to parties like this, but. In this case, the owner of the house says, no, go and bring all the people who never get invited to parties like that. So he goes and the servant said, comes back. What you've ordered has been done, but there's still room at the party. So some people came. A lot of people didn't. So the owner says, tells his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Why do you have to compel them? Because in that social structure, the nice thing to do, the appropriate thing for them to do, the poor, the crippled, the lame, would be to say no. So he says, no, no, go and convince them this party really is for them. And, and do it until this place is full. And then Jesus gives a very pointed point. And he says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now he's talking about his banquet. And I think that the Pharisees would have understood what he's saying, certainly by their reaction, because what he's saying is, hey, you know what? The messianic banquet is here. The kingdom of God is here. The king is right in front of you. You're invited, but you're refusing to come. Uh, You won't get a taste of my banquet. Again, not because they're not invited, but because they refuse to come. They were rejecting it. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because... His party was not exclusive enough. Uh, Jesus was open to all the wrong people. And they thought the Messiah, the king, would never open his kingdom to all the wrong people, only the right people. They just missed the heart of God. Uh, They made the kingdom an exclusive thing for people like them who felt like they were good enough. And, of course, the point is we're all in the same boat. None of us are good enough. Luke 15, the next chapter, Jesus is going to make that point again because the same people obviously don't get the point. The Pharisees, because they get mad because he goes to another party with with sinners where he is hanging out with them and they grumble about it. And so in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables about a lost coin, a lost sheep and a lost son, the prodigal son and showing how when heaven celebrates every time someone who has lost to God comes to him. Not just when the people who are found, so to speak, hang out, but when those who are lost are pulled in. Because this party is for everybody. And that's the heart of God. Now, it's easy to poke at the Pharisees for missing it and for misunderstanding the heart of God and making the party, the kingdom party, all about them. But the truth is, we all do that. Just in our sinful nature. Uh, When we become religious, right? When we uh, churches do this all the time, where uh, when we're found and we're pulled in, we start our life starts to change. We learn more of the Bible, and and we can very easily look down our nose at those who kind of were like we used to be in our minds, like we're some and we're in some different category, and we end up making the party about us, make it exclusive, so that others don't even feel like they can come. It happens all the time, even in churches like ours. There's just this natural tendency to do that. Uh, in fact, not too long ago, I was talking with a friend who was a Chase Oker, and I say was because they was explaining that they were leaving our church, uh, and the reason was is because they just felt like at this stage in their family's life, they love Chase Oaks, but, but they needed to be part of a church that was built around church people, not so built around people who don't go to church, because we're intentional about that. We do church in a way that's not just for church people, but those who don't go to church, and And I didn't say this. I didn't think on my feet fast enough. But if I had to do it over again, I'd say, Can you just say that again and listen to yourself talk? That you just want a church for church people. Because I think if you hear yourself talk, you'd realize, yeah, that's not the kind of party that God calls us to be. So what Jesus is desperately wanting us to understand, certainly as his people, as the current expression of the kingdom party, as his church, is to. Be the kind of church that isn't just for us, but for those who aren't here yet, because the theme of today is the urgency of the mission, because the invitation is there. It's there now to come into the party to begin a relationship with God, but it's not going to be there forever. I mean, life is short and uh, in one day Jesus will return. We don't know when that'll be. The invitation is there. It's not going to be there forever. And that means for you and me, you may be at a place where you haven't said yes to that invitation yet. And yet, you may have time. You may not. But I would encourage you to consider the urgency of the invitation to begin a relationship with him. And for those of us who know him and who are his church, to remember the urgency that we're not just here for us. But we're here for those who aren't here yet. Which means we need to be committed to kind of, just like Austin, keep Austin weird. We need to keep Chase Oaks weird. We need to keep Chase Oaks a kind of church that... Jesus would say, yeah, that's the kind of party that I would like, because otherwise we'll miss the Jesus party. And just like the master told the servants, keep inviting people until this place is full, because remember, this is not our party. Uh, It's God's party. Uh, We're the servants who get to prepare the party and invite the guests. And so let's commit as a church with the urgency of the mission to be that kind of church. And as we pray here in just a moment. In fact, I'll turn it over to your campus pastor to pray. Let's not only pray for our church, but also an opportunity for you to consider the invitation and once again, the urgency of it.